and welcome back to the Shona Strong podcast. How the hell are we? It's August the 4th as I start recording it. I probably won't upload this for a couple of days because I get a few thoughts in my noggin and then I re-record bits and then I record more and next thing it's a week down the line. But here we are on the 4th of August. Last week when I uploaded my podcast, about an hour after I clicked upload, it was announced by Nicola Sturgeon, our First Minister of Scotland, that gyms weren't going to open until halfway through September in Scotland. And I think I'd said that I was starting to lift heavier in preparation for getting back in the gym using barbells. And then that all went tits up. But guys, we don't get negative over here in the Shona Strong family. If you're listening to me, we're all about keeping our chins up, adapting and overcoming, which is what we did. I'm talking about we, I'm talking about myself. Is what I did when lockdown happened. So I am doubling down on my lockdown goals. There's no point getting miserable or giving up or getting angry or annoyed. There's nothing that will do that will literally bring no value to our lives, complaining and moaning about it. So yeah, I'm doubling down on my lockdown goals. When I entered lockdown, I was like, right, okay, I am going to get amazing at body weight stuff. I'm going to get really super flexible. I invested in a gymnastics coach and I've been working with him. Shout out, Chris. Love you. Um, I know, in a purely platonic sense, love you, just in case Sarah's listening as well. Um, and we managed to achieve my lockdown goal of a handstand push-up, which is, I mean, I'm pretty proud of it, that. I was really proud of myself. But my next goal that I'm going to achieve in the next six weeks is the splits. I'm a yoga teacher that can't do the splits, therefore I have not yet reached spiritual enlightenment. So that is my goal to get the splits and I will achieve it. Guys, anything can be achieved in six weeks. Six weeks is a long time. And do you know what? If you focused your energy and efforts towards achieving something a little bit every single day, I guarantee if you don't get there in six weeks, you will be a ball hair away from achieving it. Now, a ball hair is a unit of measurement and it means very, very, very close. So check in with me in six weeks time. I will have the splits, okay? My whole goal behind getting the splits is because I actually want to be a drag queen. And I'm not even joking, I said that to Paul recently. And he's like, Shona, you don't have to be a drag queen. Well, I pretty much already am, okay? I'm already a drag queen, but I want to perform like a drag queen. And I once saw this video of a drag queen jumping out of a bus, a double-decker red bus, like a London bus, and landing in the splits. And everyone who was watching was shooketh. And I want to make you all shook. So I want to jump out of bus and land in the splits and not injure myself. And if that, ladies and gentlemen, isn't functional fitness, then I don't know what is. 
something very exciting happened two weeks ago and that was I have been 200 days without alcohol. So I wanted to talk on this podcast about my journey with alcohol. So I don't think up until January this year, there was a month that went by in my whole adult life where I abstained from drinking alcohol. Now that saying that out loud brings me so much shame. It was like a dirty little secret that I knew it was in the back of my head and it felt really hypocritical to who I am. I mean, I put myself out there as a fitness professional and I was a heavy drinker. That was it. And I didn't like talking about it, I didn't like thinking about it. And I really wanted to address it, but it felt like the most impossible thing to address ever. The prospect of giving up alcohol just felt so difficult. It felt like I would have to completely change my life. It felt like I would have to avoid certain social situations. It felt like I would be absolutely missing out on some real fun. Um, And then I thought the only way that I can really do this is that if I do dry January and, and see what it feels like. So January came, I had had the booziest December 2019. I think like since my birthday in November, I probably had drank alcohol every single day, which again is excessive. But I think the thing is a lot of people will listen to this podcast and listen to me talk about this and it'll resonate with them because I never was an alcoholic, but the fact is I did drink alcohol excessively and that is not good. I needed to address that. So January came and I did dry January and I'm not going to lie, I mean, it was hard. It was really difficult. There was the first weekend I remember was probably the hardest or maybe it wasn't the first weekend. I think maybe the second weekend, the first weekend I was like, I already feel 100 times better after one week sans alcohol. But then the second weekend came and drinking at the weekend was just so ingrained into my habits that it was really difficult. And I saw my friends drinking alcohol. I wanted to drink with my partner. I wanted to have a nice glass of wine, feel the need to relax and unwind. But physiologically, alcohol doesn't make you relax and unwind. It actually increases your heart rate. And it is a myth that even a small drink is good for your health. I think that's some sort of like dodgy marketing um, thing that's out there. There are studies, there will be articles that you can read that says a glass of wine is good for your heart. That is not true. I've done a lot of research on the subject. No amount of alcohol is good for you. That is the fact. But what I found, especially in the first month, is that 
oh, there's so much unpacking to do about the role alcohol plays in our lives and our culture. Now, I grew up in a really wonderful household and I have lots and lots of happy memories, but I do remember alcohol being present always. My mum and dad enjoyed a glass of wine and I'm sure lots of you listening will have parents who also enjoyed a glass of wine or alcohol more than once a week. And then also I remember going to the cinema at one point in the first month perhaps to see a film called Gentleman, The Gentleman. And in every single scene, alcohol was there. And it's properly glamorised. It's it's cool, it's in a glass with ice, it's clinking, it's so intoxicating and inviting. And in one scene, the characters drink something like, there's two guys, Hugh Grant and this other guy, and they drink something like two or three bottles of whiskey in the space of an evening, and they can still talk. So it's just so unrealistic like alcohol is portrayed as being something that is always in our lives uh it's also portrayed as being better than it actually is because if you had three bottles of whiskey in the space of a night you would be like violently ill and like and if you weren't there's a problem there um and it just feels like it's so wrapped up in part of our culture that if you don't drink you're kind of outside of the norm. Another thing that made me want to give up alcohol is that my goal was to feel like an athlete every day. I'd signed up for nutrition coaching with Emma Story Gordon, which is how we met. And I absolutely credit her with me not drinking alcohol anymore because I wanted to feel like an athlete every day. And I was training every day, I was eating really well and those things felt like they were making me feel like an athlete but drinking alcohol was the complete opposite behaviour and there's something about you connecting your identity with something. So for example, I want to be an athlete and then you recreating the behaviours that you think suit being an athlete. I think James Clear talks about that in his book, Atomic Habits. So I wanted to be an athlete and drinking alcohol is something that an athlete doesn't do. So then I felt like it was easier to just remind myself every day that my goal was to be an athlete. Um, so we got to January I completed dry January and I decided that I wanted to keep going. The second time when I found that alcohol or giving up alcohol was challenging was that I went on a holiday in February to Paris and I'd been doing so well up until then and that I hadn't missed it at all. But I did find that I missed it when I was in Paris because when you go on holiday, that's like an activity that you do, isn't it? Like, yeah, you'll do your, your sightseeing during the day. You'll go to the Louvre. You'll visit museums. But then, like, in the evening, you go out for dinner. You go out for drinks. You go to bars, restaurants. And also, like, 
Paris. And France is so famous for its wine. So yeah, I did find that quite difficult as well. It felt odd, that trip to Paris. But to be fair, I think that was also because that was literally the week before the whole of Europe went into lockdown. And Paris that weekend was also going into lockdown while we were there, which was very odd and very scary. So I think we'll put that down to that with a little tiny bit of the alcohol thing as well. Um, so I have been on this journey of sobriety and now we are 200 days, 200 days down. I've made it to August and it feels now like calling it sobriety is possibly not the direction that I want to go in because I was talking with Emma recently and she always relates things to her clients adhering to their training and nutrition and she talks about imperfect action I think that's what she talks about anyway it's the idea that you don't have to be perfect but you do have to be consistent and that if I if I get to 200 days alcohol free so say you had someone who was a proper alcoholic or someone who was trying to not smoke again say they get to two years and they haven't smoked a cigarette and then they have one cigarette they might feel that that two two years goes down the pan because they're back at day one and then they might be like oh well that's me a smoker again because you've so you're so focused on the the two year spell like I've I've collected two years smoking free but if you don't think about it like that and think about it like well okay I've had one cigarette in two years and then you continue to not smoke then that's still an achievement that's still a massive improvement on where you were before which was obviously a heavy smoker or a heavy drinker so I think now I am on a journey of moderation rather than a journey of sobriety and I don't want you to listen to this podcast and be where I was in November, December 2019 and think, oh, well, maybe I need to have a journey of moderation. I do think that my journey of sobriety was absolutely crucial to me finding the place of moderation. I needed to not drink alcohol for a long time in order to to learn the role that it plays in my life and to learn um, who I am as a person because honestly I can say right now that giving up alcohol for this time has been the best thing that I've ever done for myself. Like I truly feel at age 31 that I have learned so much about myself just from giving up alcohol it is a lie that you tell yourself that you need it to have fun. I have had so much fun. I know that we've been in lockdown, but before lockdown, I had so many fun nights out and so much fun with people. Like, you know, when you go out for dinner 
and you have a glass of wine or you drink alcohol with your dinner, it feels like alcohol is the focus of the dinner. But when you go out for dinner, you don't drink. The food and the conversation is the focus on dinner. I feel so confident in myself because I trust that I can be fun and interesting without alcohol. I feel like an athlete. That's it. I managed to achieve my goal because I feel like an athlete every day because I gave up alcohol. If you're listening to this and any of this is resonating with you and you are thinking, I just can't give up alcohol. It feels impossible. Then this is for you. You have to give up alcohol. If it feels like you can't do it, then you have to do it. In my opinion, it will be the best thing that you ever do. I absolutely guarantee you will feel amazing for it. And don't think that you'll be losing by giving it up. Just think of what you'll be gaining. You'll be gaining your weekends. You'll have no hangovers. You'll feel full of energy. You'll sleep better. You'll feel better about yourself. You never have to worry about that guilt. What have I done? What did I say last night? You'll never have to worry about that again. And if you need any help with it, any advice, any what books to read, what podcasts to listen to, then just send me a message. I am more than happy to help. So the other day I ironically called someone low vibration because I was just playing that wanky yoga teacher fantasy. Um, But it reminded me of my yoga teacher training. Did I mention that I did it in India? A year and a half ago, January 2019, we had a lecture as part of that from one of the teacher trainers um, and it was on low vibration and high vibration. Now, if I describe to you, if I Google high and low vibration, here we go, I'll just read it out. High vibration is linked to positivity, love, compassion, and peacefulness. In contrast, low vibration is linked to fear, anxiety, sadness, and depression. The higher your vibration, the more authentic you are and more capable you'll be of tuning into what you really want and then manifesting it in the world. I think this is just a bit wanky, okay? This whole low and high vibration because... You can't help if you're feeling fear, anxiety, sadness and depression. You can't help that. It's quite like high and low vibration. It's quite ableist. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're suffering from mental health problems, then you can't really do anything about that apart from get help. But blaming yourself for your low vibration isn't going to be a solution. But anyway, I just wanted to talk about the memory of this lecture because it was quite funny. So to picture the scene, this yoga teacher was what you would call a stereotypical yoga teacher. Um, she was quite young in her early 20s, white. She had white girl dreads, which, I mean, you're not meant to judge as a yoga teacher, but I don't think you should have white girl dreads. Um, and she was in all shades of neutral, 
baggy pants. I think she had a crocheted cardigan on. Um, and she was also wearing toe rings and anklets. Now, I would love to be the sort of person that wears toe rings and anklets, but my toes like are kind of bulbous at the end and then thin at the at the base. <laughs> So I can't get a toe ring on it, okay? Um, and I, yeah, I would love to be that sort of person, but I'm just not enlightened enough to wear toe rings and anklets. So she did this uh, lecture with us and we had to talk about what is high vibration and low vibration. And she, um, first of all, said, right, first of all, we'll talk about high and low vibration spaces. And so she said that low vibration spaces would be like bars, restaurants, nightclubs. Um, and high vibration places would be the yoga shala, the temple, outdoors, nature, the beach, a library. I think that was randomly put in there. Maybe I'm making that up. I just, again, have a problem with that because I have enjoyed being in bars, restaurants, nightclubs. I felt like my vibration has <laughs> increased for being in those places. I feel energized. I love being around people. So it lifts me up. Um, and equally, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, it's quite classist, isn't it? It's quite classist to say that those places are low vibration because not everyone's got the money or the time to go to the yoga shala. Shala means, you know, shala. What is it? What does shala mean? Shala means like yoga studio, but not studio, yoga place of practicing yoga. Um, yeah, not everyone's got the money to do that or like to spend time in the outdoors. Some people have to go to their work. Uh, I think she did say offices are low, low vibration. <laughs> um, I think she said like busy industrial spaces. Um, buses, trains, low vibration. What we need to go to work, earn money and spend a whole day in low vibration. And then you go to this bloody lecture with this yoga teacher and she tells you that your whole life is low vibration. Um, and then it very quickly was revealed to us that this wasn't a lecture on high vibration versus low vibration. This was a vegan propaganda session. And she said that if you eat any sort of meat or dairy, that then you are taking things in that are low vibration and negative energy, bad energy into your body. And then um, that's really bad for you. Now, can I just say this is bullshit? And, I, and, and I'm really glad at the time there was like an audible ripple. Imagine an audible ripple of bullshit <laughs> through the room. I think everyone was like, hmm. I think she's talking a bit of shit. And there was some like glances back and forward between each other. Again, this is like a total classist attitude. I mean, it is it is true that people that practice veganism or are able to practice veganism, practice, are vegans, are um, from higher or better, better, I don't know, socioeconomic backgrounds, they have more money, basically. It's expensive to be a vegan. 
as much as vegans say that it's not, it is expensive. Um, and also it, it has this horrible food shamey vibe. Um, like, can you imagine having thinking that eating something is is bad energy for your body and then imagining like that yeah I get that um I am I am a vegetarian I don't eat meat and yeah there is it is mostly because I don't want to eat animals because I love animals but I'm not going to judge anyone else or tell them that eating meat is like taking bad energy into their body that's oh just made me so annoyed um and then this lecture just continued with um a massive debate about uh oh I, I, I lost it but it was like a Michael Jackson popcorn at the cinema meme moment where this guy was telling her that veganism and uh quinoa and avocados I don't know the exact story but they're um the increase of them because of the increased demand for vegans has had a significant impact on not only the environment and where they're from, where they're grown, but also impact on the people that rely on those foods um, who are native to where they're grown. And yeah, it was amazing. But um, I think I might add this as a new feature to my podcast. Wanky yoga concept of the week. So one of my clients asked me this week what macros I'm on and I just wanted to talk a bit about my own diet, you know? So I don't actually track macros. Ah! Scream! And I haven't tracked macros for a very long time. I don't enjoy it. I feel like I'm attached to my phone already quite a lot because of my work and I don't want to be attached to my phone anymore. But also I have tracked macros before this for years. Like I'm not kidding. Years and years. So one thing about tracking macros and what is wonderful about tracking macros is that it educates you so much on what's in food. And I kind of tend to eat the same things a lot. I eat a lot of a lot of vegetables, um, but I, I tend to make the same meals. I tend to um, get the same things in my diet on a weekly basis. I don't eat the same thing every day, but I tend to eat the same thing every week, if you know what I mean. Um, and one way that I can stick to what I'm trying to achieve, so I'm not necessarily trying to lose fat at the moment. I'm just trying to maintain my body I am also wanting to continue building muscle but more over and above that my goal is to fuel myself for my training feel like an athlete every day and also love my body love food and just love life so the way that I'm achieving that is through intuitive eating and I didn't realize that what I was doing for a very long time was intuitive eating. I was focusing on getting protein in my diet three or four times a day. So whether that's through my meals or through a snack, I was also focusing on getting 
about 800 grams of vegetables and fruit in a day. I did a challenge at the start of lockdown where I had to get 800 grams and I've just stuck to that. I feel like that's a really, it's it just means that I focus on getting in loads of vitamins and minerals and it keeps me full as well. And another th- rule, because it is a rule, I like rules, that I implement in my diet is intermittent fasting. And again, it wasn't something that I was consciously doing. Um, you might have heard of intermittent fasting, but all it really is doing is partitioning your food in a certain way or timing your food, timing your eating in a certain way that means that you don't eat for a bit. So there's loads and loads of ways that you can intermittent fast. You can do what I'm doing. So I only eat fruit and a protein shake before 12 o'clock. So it's not technically fasting really because I'm still eating. Um, And then I stop eating at eight o'clock at night. And the reason behind that is because if I eat any later than that, then I feel like it disturbs my sleep. Um, So I like to finish at eight o'clock and uh, I like to have a nice full tummy when I sleep. So my biggest meal tends to be like either my lunch or my dinner. Because obviously I don't eat before 12 o'clock. Or I do, I eat eat fruit and a protein shake. And this really works for me because... um, it, it just it's just a way of maintaining my calories without really even thinking about it and because I've tracked calories for such a long time I've tracked macros I'm really good at knowing how like portion sizes and weighing out foods um and I'm, I'm really good at knowing like how to do that without having to weigh and measure but that really does just take time and I would say that's thanks to me tracking for years and years. But the holy grail of of your relationship with food really being positive, I would say, is intuitive eating. And it does take a lot of work. Um, And I have definitely, just like most of you listening, been through spells where I didn't have a good relationship with food. I felt um, I have dieted, I have restricted my calories, I have had problems with binge eating, but intuitive eating is really um, the best thing for me right now and I feel like I've got an amazing relationship with food, I really enjoy it and something that one of my clients said to me the other day and this really resonated with me is that she felt um, that because she is able to include things that she enjoys in her diet because she follows a flexible dieting approach and she is tracking macros, um, because she is able to include things that she enjoys, when she's offered food that she enjoys, like say she's at the office and offered like cake or biscuits or something, she doesn't feel the need to take it because it's going to be in her diet somewhere else. And it's not like, oh, I'm so restricted or I feel I feel that I need to have that because I'm not allowed it. Um, she totally is 100% allowed it because I don't believe that any food is good or bad. Food is food. Food is all high vibration. <laughs> so there we go. Um, no, I don't track macros at the moment. I would say if I had to estimate the amount of calories, I'm probably on around 2,000 calories a day but I'm not entirely sure and it probably does vary from day to day Um, and I 
just make sure that I don't restrict myself, but also make sure that I am still doing tons of activity, getting my steps in, and my steps average probably are about 13 to 15,000 a day. Um, Training, but enjoying training and not training just to work off calories. But I think if there's anything that I've just discussed there, because I've, I've probably passed over over like tons of topics that I could like narrow in on, focus in on. If there's anything else that you would like me to discuss, then just send me a message. Before I stop recording, I wanted to tell you about a dream that I had the other night because I feel like this dream tells you will tell you a lot about me as a person and I can't get this dream out of my head because it was just so bizarre and I really do believe that you have dreams because something that's going on in your life and I haven't quite worked out what it is that's going on in my life right now but here we are. So I'll tell you the dream. So in this dream world we were still in lockdown and there's this girl that I follow on Instagram who runs a wedding magazine right that's all I know about her anyway she's like a blogger so basically what happened was this girl was facilitating a band right facilitating was a key word because that was the word that she used in the dream and the word that was in my head waking up so she was facilitating a band And facilitating, what I mean is that she wasn't in the band, but she was like managing the band. She was putting it all together. Um, And the band was like a sort of wedding-y type band. Obviously, she is like a rock and roll bride type person. So, uh, and the band had lots of members in it. And she was just talking about this on Instagram. Bear in mind, I don't know this person. She um, has a lot of followers. I just follow her because I like her page and stuff. So in the dream, I reached out to her and said, Hi, my name's Shona. I see you're putting a band together. I'm going to join the band and play tambourine. Right? I I don't play, in real life, I don't play tambourine. I have played it before and it is really fun. But I'm not particularly talented at the tambourine. But what stood out to me in my post-dream analysis was how... I was so entitled, <laughs> just told her that I was going going to join the band and play tambourine. Anyway, because this, we're still in lockdown, the band was going to perform over Zoom. And the people that were in the band um, already all were like knew each other and were in the same area. So they were going to be performing on Zoom on one square. And then how it was going to work was I was going to be in a second square on Zoom, just playing the tambourine. And then everyone else is just going to be watching these two squares. Okay, got me? Anyway, so we came to our performance. We played the first song and I was just playing the tambourine, right? So I was just like having a great time, banging my tambourine, playing along. And then the first song finished and I was like, oh, that was really fun. Uh, We've still got 14 songs left to play, but I'm going to take a quick break. Why is it that you do things like that in dreams? Like, obviously in real life, I would have played all 15 songs in the tambourine. I mean, my wrist would have hurt, but I would have kept going. But I just took a small break 
And anyway, I got distracted on my break, came back and the set had finished. So everyone who had been watching on the live stream had just been watching the band and then my empty room because I was nowhere to be seen. I think probably I left my tambourine. Now I'm just embellishing the dream. This is not, that was not in the dream. And then um, the gig finished and I got contacted afterwards by the facilitator of the band. And she was so kind to me. I remember thinking in the dream, she was so kind. It was really nice the way that she she let me down so gently. She said, look, Shona, um, moving forward, I don't think we're going to have you slash tambourine in the band. Um, we got some quite negative feedback on the live stream about the the tambourine. And we, we just don't want to work with you anymore. And then I went on the live stream comments and the comments were like, lose the tambourine. Why do we need a tambourine? No tambourine, please. Now, what do we think that dream means? Isn't that so interesting? What Guys, what do you think that means? I think it's... It's so interesting, Dream. So I think what's one thing that we can pick up on is like the entitlement of me being like, I'm going to join your band and I'm going to play tambourine and I'm going to do something that I'm not particularly skilled at. Hmm, what does that mean? Am I doing something in my life that I'm not particularly skilled at, but just doing it anyway? Oh my God. Now I'm doing some deep, deep unpacking. Some personal unpacking if you have any thoughts on what that dream means then please message me let me know I'm so intrigued and I think we'll draw a line I've managed 40 minutes guys 40 minutes of Shona Strong on the podcast I hope you have enjoyed it and have an amazing week goodbye (laughs) 